This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would speak to us through it by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. These are the great and triumphant words of Easter, words of resurrection power. And alongside those words, we could include many others, like victory, hope, restoration, love, joy. I'm sure you could add many, many more. And yet, perhaps, there are some here this Easter morning who have different words in your mind or on your heart. Words like despair, or grief, or fear, or shame, or failure, or why. Well, if so, let me say this. You are in good company with some of the disciples that we encounter in this account of that first Easter morning in Luke's Gospel when they arrive at the tomb. St. Luke tells us that those who are the first on the scene are in verse 4 perplexed and in verse 5 terrified. The women are perplexed by what they don't find and terrified by what they do find. So what is perplexing? Well, more than anything, the empty tomb. Also, I should imagine all the events of the week past that have brought them to this time and this place on this morning. Surely their minds and hearts are still full of grief, perhaps despair. All too fresh and vivid in their minds is the betrayal of Jesus, the flogging, the crucifixion. They must have been simply wrung out emotionally, mentally, physically. Nevertheless, These women are in many ways among the heroes of that day. For they hang in there. They are loyal followers. They do their duty. They show up. Even, I have to acknowledge, after the men are nowhere to be found. Well, St. Luke describes the scene on the first day of the week at early dawn. The women came to the tomb taking the spices that that they had prepared. But when they arrive, the scene is not what they expected. First, of course, the stone is rolled away. St. Mark, in his gospel, tells us they'd been stressing about this on the way, wondering how on earth they were going to move it. And then when they go inside, they don't find the body. Everything before their eyes at the tomb simply doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit like so many of the events that weekend. And likewise, for us, we may live through all kinds of events in life without really understanding their meaning. Many times we are perplexed, or we may be terrified by life's circumstances. We might wish that God would answer all our questions, 
But the reality for the women at the tomb, even though they had angels talk to them, was that it was still very hard. Luke tells us, while they were perplexed, two men in dazzling clothes stood before them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. The angels then say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And this, in a nutshell, is the message of Easter. Jesus, who was dead and buried, has been raised from the dead. This, by the way, is not a message of spiritual resurrection in the hearts of believing women. No. It is an account of actual bodily resurrection, even in the face of doubt and fear. The angels then continue, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. In the midst of all that is perplexing, all that doesn't make sense, all that is so very hard, they do what the angels tell them to do. First, they remember. And that is something that each one of us can do in the midst of our own fears and doubts. I wonder, how do you respond when you are faced with things that are perplexing? When you are surrounded by unanswered questions and maybe tempted even to despair? What do you do when you feel bowed down by the weight of life or perhaps the weight of death? Perhaps you turn to escapism in food or drink or some mindless activity. But what if, what if instead we heard the words of the scriptures again with this call to remember, to remember our Easter faith, to remember the words of Jesus who says to us, do not be afraid. How easily we forget the life-giving, freeing, healing words of Jesus. His words of love and of comfort, of grace and truth. And instead we listen to other words. Words not of life, but of death. Not of resurrection, but of sinfulness and selfishness and accusation, guilt, shame or failure. And yet, if we're to make sense of life at all, with all its vagaries and hurts and twists and turns, we need to hear the words of the living God. Life can make sense. And it is the words, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that make sense out of the craziness and that enable us to see the bigger picture. And so as the angel said to the women at the tomb, we also need to take heed of those same words and remember how he told you. When you are perplexed, remember the promises of Jesus. When you are afraid, remember his promise to be with you. Well, that first Easter Sunday morning, the women do remember and, and they're transformed. They then do the next thing the angel told them to do, which was to go immediately and share the good news with others. 
And that news was received with such wonderment and amazement and exceeding joy. Uh, no, were you listening to the reading? That's not what happened at all. When the women told the apostles what they'd seen and heard, the men didn't believe them. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. You know, I, I sometimes feel a bit, well, cross about those disciples, really. I mean, there they were, quite content to let the women get up early and go to the tomb. And I know, though, back in the day, maybe that was women's work. But you'd have thought a few of them might have gotten up to come and move the stone. I think, I think one of the reasons this scene gets to me with this, this contrast between the believing women and the unbelieving men is, is perhaps because, I don't know whether you're like this, let's just speak for me, I have a tendency perhaps to be hardest on those who are maybe the most like me. You know, I, so I think of Peter, who opens his mouth and puts his foot in it. Or, you know, I think of Peter who promises never to fail Jesus and then promptly denies him. You know, Peter talked a good talk. He was, he was good on his feet. He was a natural leader. And he failed miserably and repeatedly. That's why I'm kind of harsh on Peter. Saves looking too hard in the mirror. But you know, once I get past my own self-righteous condemnation of these disciples, well, come on, it's hardly surprising that they were in the state that they were in. They had been through so much. After all they had witnessed, all their hopes that had been dashed, no wonder they were so defeated and disappointed and disbelieving. If ever there was a group of downhearted, depressed, ashamed, and bewildered men, this was it. And then, into the midst of them, burst these women making their impossible claims saying that Jesus was alive, that all was not lost after all, and now they can rejoice. But from the perspective of the men, what did these women even know? How could they even begin to understand the sense of guilt and failure and despair that must have gripped them, those disciples, on that morning? And so, in short, they simply don't believe them. Well, I say that with one exception. Guess who? Peter. Yes, Peter, the one who on the Friday had specifically denied ever knowing Jesus, Peter at least wants to see for himself. I, I have this mental picture of St. Peter as being something like a kind of large wet dog in your living room. He leaves this trail of destruction. Last week, we saw him as a pathetic, selfish, weak individual, and yet he was also... I have to say, humble enough, brave enough, honest enough to risk being vulnerable and appearing foolish by believing these women. I think it took courage just to be there that morning. It takes character to face your friends after you've let someone down the way Peter had let Jesus down. And of course, his failure wasn't some quiet mistake it was a full-blown wet dog in your living room, Peter-style betrayal, complete with curses and oaths that he never even knew Jesus. 
It's extraordinary. You know, at the Last Supper, Jesus spoke specifically to Peter. Uh, we read about this. We heard it in, uh, on Good Friday, on Monday, Thursday. Satan, Jesus says, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Extraordinary. And that, by the way, was what prompted Peter to say, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And then, of course, Jesus predicts quite rightly his d denial that Peter made. But what I find so compelling in, in these words is that Jesus knew that Peter would deny him. It was very difficult to be a disciple of Jesus then. And it can be difficult to be a follower of Jesus now. Our enemy, Satan, is out to derail us and turn us away from Jesus, to deny him. But Jesus knows this. And what hit me again this Holy Week was that Jesus was praying specifically for Peter. And we know from elsewhere that Jesus prays for us. He prays for you and he prays for me. The risen, ascended Jesus prays for you. And Jesus prayed that though Peter would let him down, though he would stumble, though he would shamefully mess up, that notwithstanding all of that, his faith would not ultimately fail. And even more, that once he had turned back, that Peter, of all of them, would strengthen the others. And that is what I believe some of us here this morning are called to do. Though you may have failed others, you may have failed God, maybe countless times, Jesus is not interested in having you sit there and lick your wounds and stay in misery about it. Rather, he calls you to turn back to him and to strengthen others. Well, let's get back to the narrative. Peter hears from the women and he's up on his feet and he starts running. I'd love to know what was going through his mind as he races towards the tomb. Maybe he's thinking, could it possibly be true what Joanna and Mary Magdalene and James's mum and the rest have been saying? C could Jesus really be alive? Oh my goodness, if it's true, I, I must tell him how sorry I am for being such a jerk in the temple courtyard. I, I must help him. I must see what he wants me to do. I must fall at his feet and worship him. I'm going to make it all up to him. You can imagine him just tripping over his words as he's running along. And then, no doubt with all manner of thoughts swirling in his mind, he arrives breathless at his tomb, at the tomb, his heart pounding in his chest. You know, had he spoken then, he would have sounded like Jonathan Warren when he's really preaching. You know how he gets, how he gets? Well, that, that's my picture. Okay. The stone has been rolled away. Could this really be happening? You know, oddly, he doesn't go barreling on into the tomb. Maybe a wave of fear or timidity swept over him. St. Luke tells us that he stoops down, looks inside, and that there before his very eyes he sees the linen cloths that have been wrapped around Jesus' dead body just lying there by themselves. And he is amazed. It's true. The women were right. Jesus is alive. But what does this mean? Where, where is Jesus? And I should imagine again Peter's brain is going into overdrive as he heads for home. Maybe not quite sure what to do next. 
Indeed, the word for amazed, which describes Peter, can also be translated wondered. And I'm sure he was left wondering. Wondering what on earth, or heaven, this all meant. Is it possible that resurrection can really happen? I think Peter perhaps couldn't yet put the pieces together. Certainly he's amazed at what he sees with his own eyes at the empty tomb, but also he's left wondering, wondering what it means, wondering what comes next. That first Easter morning began with fear, with confusion, with surprise, and it ended with amazement. But what about this Easter morning, today on April the 21st, 2019? What about your fears or confusion or wonderings? Today we have heard again the story of Easter, that Jesus is raised from the dead, and we are glad. But this is not the end of the gospel. It's more like the beginning. It's the beginning of the good news. And what of your story this morning? How will the story of your achievements or your failures end? How will the story of your joys or sorrows turn out? At the end of time, God will make all things new. And we can absolutely look forward to that day. But what about before that day? Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead have something for us now? On that first Easter morning, the disciples, both the women and the men, were faced with an amazing and unexpected display of God's power. And though Jesus had told them he would rise from the dead, in the depths of their despair, they either forgot or they simply didn't believe that. And yet, even in the midst of their despair and disbelief, God breaks through with grace and love and resurrection power. Dare you believe that God can do that again in your life, in our church, among those with whom we live and work? Could God bring resurrection life to you, to me, to a loved one? Could Jesus really bring healing and transformation, hope and joy? You see, resurrection creeps up on us. Well, not so much creeps as bursts upon us. At first, like the disciples, you may dismiss the very idea. But then you realize it's true. Easter tells us of things we don't expect, things we are not inclined to believe, things we cannot understand. Resurrection is all about God doing what we cannot. It is about God breathing life where there is death. And that is why resurrection is such good news. So this morning, whether you are perplexed and afraid or filled with joy and hope, remember what God has done. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.